The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. After the holidays, a little cash goes a long way. The Chime checking account has tons of benefits to help, like fee-free overdraft up to $200 for eligible members, no monthly fees, and thousands of fee-free ATMs. You can even get paid up to two days early with direct deposit. Sign up for Chime today at chime.com goals24. Banking services and debit card provided by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Spot me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal fees may apply. Access to direct deposits up to two days early depends on the timing of the submission of the payment file from the payer. Back with Vershawn Jackson on 93.7 The Ticket and theticketfm.com. Yeah, and we back. I'm the captain. It's the ticket, 93.7. Lincoln's best sports radio show, John Cena. I'm here with the ultimate, ultimate football player, Adam Carricker. Welcome, my friend. How you doing, Rashawn? Hey, man. When I played, when I wanted to play that John Cena, I could just, I could see you as a WWE guy. Yeah, most people know I've been a WWE fan my whole life. There was actually a point. God, it's been like nine years ago, eight, nine years ago now. They actually offered me to come down and work with them in their performance center down in Orlando. Um, hey, I like I like the uh, WWE intro music. Maybe we could change it from John Cena to like The Rock or Goldberg or Austin or something, though. Not that I want to be too finicky. Listen, we before before we get off today, we're going to bring one of them. We're going to bring one of them for you, and we'll have you come out to it and just see what's going to be your WWE name. Oh, man. Uh, I've been asked this before. You know, I'm a big Goldberg guy. In fact, I actually I hadn't texted him in like two years. I texted Goldberg last night because he's a Georgia guy. He got right back to me. He was all pumped up and excited. Um, I always just like like the one name, like Sting, Goldberg. So I don't know if character has that same ring to it, but I'd kind of start from there and see see where I ended up at if I was to take it serious. <laughs> I think, I mean, at six – well, your bio said six six three hundred. At six six three hundred, looking like the Incredible Hawk, you would be a, a really imposing character. So I would love to see Adam Carricker out there getting busy with those guys. You would be you would fit right in with them. Well, I appreciate that, man. At the time, I wasn't done playing football, so I said thanks, but no thanks. So uh, people have often asked me, uh, "Hey, why don't you go call them up and, and ask if they'll uh, still offer that?" Uh, that uh, what they offered you, and I said uh, they don't remember who I am. That was like too long ago, so they've forgotten all about Adam Character at this point. Well, Adam, I, I appreciate you coming on the show, man. I appreciate you uh, taking the call. Uh, I'm I'm gonna get right in it, man. You know, I'm a question type guy. So, first question is, how'd you make it to Nebraska? How'd you get recruited? What happened? How'd you how'd you find your way into Lincoln? Yeah, so I I was born in Hastings. When I was three, my dad got laid off from his job, so I grew up in the state of Washington. But my entire childhood, 
the mood in the character house revolved around whether Nebraska won or lost. And so I knew if Nebraska won, which they normally did, you know, I could probably get away with a few things, but if Nebraska lost, I better be walking on eggshells around, around my dad, especially. He's the biggest Husker fan I've ever known in my life. So they were my dream school. You know, when it came time for recruiting and things to happen, I've shared this before, but it, it was an interesting tale. Um, the D-line coach there at one point actually looked at me uh, right after my junior year, and he said, you're not good enough to play here. And I was like, well, I'll never play at Nebraska, so that didn't go well. So I started to do some things my junior year. I was a quarterback, you know, and then my senior year was my first year that I ever played DN. I started to do some things my senior year. I got some offers, things of that nature. Actually, I had way more interest as a quarterback than I did at defensive end. Mm. Um, I was also a pitcher. I threw 95 in, in baseball. Some scouts were talking to my dad that I ended up hurting my elbow. I could still throw a football, but the pitching motion, I had to have surgery, and I didn't want to do it. So I said, I'm going to go uh, lift weights. I'm going to hit people. And that's how I ended up focusing on defense a little bit more. And then uh, my dad sent my last tape um, from my senior year. And, and the other team ran the wishbone. Uh, they just ran the ball over and over. They beat us like 49 to nothing. My team wasn't good, but I had 22 tackles. And so they called me and they said, hey, we'd like you to walk on here. And, you know, that was awesome. Um, the issue for me was we ain't got a lot of family and out of, or a lot of money, I'm sorry, and out-of-state tuition, being in the state of Washington, that was a lot of money, something I just we weren't going to be able to afford. So I, I said thank you, but no thank you. So literally the next night, they called back with a scholarship offer. I'm not going to lie to you, man. I've learned since college football is a business. I, don't think, I think people are starting to realize that more and more with NIL, but you and I knew that a long time ago. It's a business. They were trying to get a player without wasting a scholarship. But as a high school kid, all I saw was they're playing games, and I was mad. I was mad. So I took recruiting trips, and they offered me to take a recruiting trip to Lincoln. So I took one there. The whole entire time I was pouting. You know, my dad was there with me. You know, Harrion was there. A bunch of other guys that ended up coming in were at that same recruiting trip. And so the last thing that we were supposed to do was just chat with Coach Solich before we left and went back home. And I'm sitting outside Coach Solich's office, and my dad just – kind of staring at me and smiling. I'm like, and I'm mad. I'm like, what? what is going on, Dad? He goes, are you done? I go, am I done what? He goes, are you done pouting? I go, what do you mean? He goes, do you want to play here or not? I was like, yeah. He's like, well, why don't you get over it and go in there and commit? And that, that's what I ended up doing. So to this day, that's it's kind of an unusual story. Um, but anyways, my dad kind of looking at me and laughing kind of softened my heart, and I went and I committed, and the rest is kind of history, so to speak. Wow, that, that, that's an awesome story. Okay, so 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 let's get into then what happened. You get there, you have to sit for, what, three years before you start playing? Or when did you start actually playing, playing? Not special teams, but like, okay, I'm, I'm at DN and I'm playing. So my first year I redshirted, then the second year I would come in a nickel situation sporadically. I ended up hurting my ankle, so I missed a good deal of time there. Uh, so my sophomore year was really the first year that uh, I started and I, I started to see some time. Again, my first two years I got banged up a little bit, so my sophomore year I hurt that same stupid ankle. Um, so anyways, I missed some time, but that was the first year I really – I was the starter, and then my junior and senior year. My junior year is when I played full-time, never came off the field, um, and then my senior year as well. So that's kind of that's how that worked out, so to speak. Now, you now you were in that transition, kind of in that transition from, I believe, Solich 
Pelini to Callahan. Talk a little bit about what, what was that like going through that situation? Yeah, so my first two years were under Solich. So I saw I saw what Nebraska football was supposed to look like for a little bit, at least as a young pup. Um, and then, you know, the whole Alamo Bowl thing, you know, when we found out the Solich was fired and I'm sitting in my grandparents' house playing cards and I see it on ESPN, you know, and that's how I found out Solich was fired. And then I'll never forget, you know, Pelini was the interim coach. And I've shared this story before, but we actually had a players-only meeting you know, about whether we were going to play in the bowl game or not. Players were mad. Players were, were very upset. Um, but the end of that meeting had the right outcome. I mean, I was a young guy, so I wasn't saying much. But in my, in my mind, I'm like, why the hell would anybody not play in a bowl game? I know we're mad. Um, but I wasn't going to say a lot because I hadn't done anything. I didn't think I'd earned the right. But plenty of other players voiced their opinion. Playing in the bowl game, I think we beat Michigan State like 17-3. to and then Callahan obviously changed from then on. But uh, for me, I at least got to see what, you know, Nebraska football is supposed to look like for a couple of years. So, you know, you, you get through that. You make it through. You're doing well. Um, you get drafted first round, 13th overall pick. What was that like? You, you know, what was that like? Being that you had to kind of come in, you went to St. Louis, Grant Winstrom. So just speak to kind of what that, you know, what that was like, what was the pressures, you know, what happened being drafted first round, 13 pick overall? You know, so for me, I kind of glossed over a couple of early things. You know, when I first got to Nebraska, it, it was different than anything I'd ever experienced in my life because when I first got to Nebraska, uh, I mean, this guy's still in the media. He wrote a couple of articles throughout my first couple of years there, how I was too slow, too unathletic, and I'd have to go play on the offensive line. And you got to remember the D-line coach that was recruiting me told me I wasn't good enough to play there. So that's – in my high school team, we stunk. We were 0-9 my senior. So this was, this was what my experience was. My experience was proving people wrong and shoving it up people's rear end sideways. And I didn't come in with a chip on my shoulder. I came in with a whole forest. All of a sudden, for the first time in my life, I'm the, I'm, I'm the guy that everybody's pumping up and everybody's looking to to do big things and – uh, I was like, whoa, this is weird. I don't know how to handle this. I'm used to people saying negative things. I know how to handle that. You know, I know how to prove people wrong. All of a sudden, it was completely different for me. Like, I'm doing individual drills out there, and I'm hitting a bag the first day of practice, and there's no, no joke. A dozen people in suits that had to be like 10 to 15 grand just standing there watching me hit a bag. Like, dude, that was so foreign to me. Um, so I probably didn't handle that real well. In the beginning, I mean, I did some good things. You know, luckily I was voted the, the rookie of the year for the Rams by my peers on the team, which to this day I thought was a really cool honor. Mm-hmm. Um, but to me, I was going from DN to nose guard. I look back on it. You know, maybe I could have blocked out some of the nose and focused a little bit more, paid a little bit more of attention. Um, I did that better when I went to D.C. Of course, it was, you know, it was proving people wrong again, which was my comfort zone. That's where I felt at home. But to me, it was such a foreign thing when I went to St. Louis. I almost didn't know how to handle all the compliments. Mm. Now, now you talked a little bit about what Nebraska football was supposed to look like. You know, under Solich being there for two years, you kind of saw that. What was the differences between Solich and Callahan coach teams? 
So I'm not going to, I'm not going to bury Callahan. I'm just going to tell you what I saw and what I experienced. What I saw was Husker power ushered out the door. Something as simple as the, the platform. And you know what that is. You know, if you test well enough in the 40, the vert, the 20 yard shuttle, all that stuff, and you get your name on the platform. My first day in the Husker weight room, uh, I'm doing a workout and I went and sat down on the platform, not knowing what it was. You lucky somebody been attacking and adjust you right off of that thing. Oh, dude, they ripped into me like a monkey on a cupcake. And I learned two things. I learned number one, never to sit on that thing again. And number two, that was my goal was to get my name on there. I was going to say, and and I, so my, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was so close in the 10-yard dash as a redshirt freshman. I just needed to improve it just at, just a, a smidgen of a hair. And then Callahan, you know, he comes in and he takes it away. And I, I always felt jipped because I never got a chance to get my name on that thing. And obviously, you know, the offense changed. The culture changed. A lot of things changed. He, he clearly saw uh, us as, as amateurs, which, which you are. But it was almost, I don't want to say, I mean – he was looking down his nose at us, so to speak, but it kind of, it kind of felt like that to me, so to speak. Like he wanted to be in the NFL, and that's really—he's a good NFL coach with the offensive line. He does a great job as an O-line coach, but things changed. Not just the scheme; it was the attitude, it was the culture, it was just how a lot of things were done, and a lot of what had worked at Nebraska for forty plus years was almost looked at as like dinosaurs, and we got to get all that out as we possibly can. And he, he tried to get rid of as many walk-ons as he possibly could. I've talked about the two weeks from hell in the past where he tried to get as many walk-ons to quit as he possibly could, and he succeeded. And just he tried to change a lot of things that had worked for so long. And, again, you know, looking back, I was a very quiet guy. I didn't talk a lot. The fact that I flap my gums and I do it for a living now shocks me as well as anybody who knew me growing up. So back then I didn't say much, and I especially wasn't going to say much because I'm a you-got-to-earn-it guy, and I didn't feel like I'd earned it. But I'm sitting there watching it, and I, I wasn't a, a fan of a lot of it. So for me, when I think of my experience with Nebraska football, obviously it entails Bill Callahan. Uh, but I, I also think back to those early years of what it looked like when I first got there. Mm, got you. Let's talk. Let's, we, we're going to change paces a little bit. NIL, good or bad for football? Man, that is – okay, so for years – let's go back pre-transfer portal. For years, if players were unhappy, they'd have to go somewhere and they'd have to sit out a year no matter the circumstance. It didn't matter if, they, if you were a triple option quarterback and all of a sudden they brought in a pro-style offense. It didn't matter. But coaches could come and go as they please. You know, Pete Carroll, USC gets in a lot of trouble. Pete Carroll takes off. Nothing anybody can do about it. And I always said that that was unfair. You know, then the transfer portal rolls around, and now it's very easy for players to go. I mean, how many, I don't know, probably a couple thousand players have entered that thing. I don't think a whole lot of them have found homes. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. I think a lot of guys kind of go into purgatory, and it's not quite what they hoped it would be. But what, what I didn't like was that players had no power. Now players have a ton of power, and it holds coaches accountable, which is what I like. What maybe isn't as great is – you know, you can question whether players want to stick it, stick it out and earn it. Like Stetson Bennett last night at Georgia, how much heat is that guy taking, yet he stuck it out? You know, those stories seem to be fewer and farther between. So there's pluses and minuses. When you go to NIL, there's a lot of money that is made off the backs, as you know, of college football players. 
And a scholarship is not something to be sneezed at. I said I, I couldn't, I would have paid for the rest of my life, probably, and then some to pay for out-of-state tuition to walk on at Nebraska. Without that scholarship, I couldn't have played at Nebraska. So scholarship is nothing to sneeze at. But if you compare it to what these universities are making, it, 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 is, it is not appropriately proportioned. So NIL gave the opportunity to make it more proportion appropriately to what these players should be making. My concern is, have we opened up Pandora's box? And if we don't start to regulate NIL, is this thing just going to get incredibly out of control? And then the haves are going to have more and the have-nots are going to have less because it's going to become a bidding war for transfers and it's going to become a bidding war for high school prospects. And where does this thing end? Because it may just never end if we don't start to put some parameters on this thing. So it's kind of like the transfer portal. There's pluses and minuses. you got to have parameters. Same thing with NIL, in my opinion. We're talking with defensive end and uh, former first-round NFL player Adam Carricker. Carricker, we got to pay some bills. We'll be right back. I hope you stick around. i got more questions for you. I'm the captain. It's the ticket, 93.7. Is 93 7 a ticket? Look at me short. Look at me short. I'm the captain now. Three time national champion Vershawn Jackson. Oh, I got a bunch all alone is Vershawn Jackson. And Vershawn will get it to the 24 yard line. Coming at you live from the Copple Chevrolet GMC Studios in the heart of Lincoln, America. On air and online at theticketfm.com. Here he is, for Sean Jackson. Ah, yeah. For Sean Jackson, let me let me ask you a question. Who's next on the captain's ship? I, you know, I, I had that we 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 actually brought back. Mr. Adam Carricker, because I, I was supposed to, I what do I call him? Carricker Chronicle. Yeah. Yeah, Carricker Chronicle is who's next on the captain's show on the ticket. Big fella, this was what Pecan Pie asked me. Said, what's up, VJ? Can you tell me who won six championships in eight years, which included high school, college, and NFL? Pecan Pie, you cannot stomp the coach. And the captain, it's Grant Winstrom. Stop it. <laughs> Big character. What's up, fella? I'm good, man. I appreciate you getting the Goldberg intro. That was awesome. Come on. That was just for you, man. We got to we gotta figure out your intro, man. We got to have an intro for you. You just can't You just that. can't walk in the building. Every time you walk somewhere, it's like that intro starts playing. Dan, <laughs> dan. <laughs> so let's talk about. State of Nebraska football now, what does that look like? I, I think that's – I think it's a big question mark right now because obviously the past, you know, five seasons, last one under Riley, really hasn't gone any the way any, anyone would have liked, including Coach Frost. There's been a lot of good moves this offseason, you know. Um, Mark Whipple coming in, obviously Mickey Joseph being hired, Casey Thompson as quarterback. You get Trey Palmer who has – a lot of ability out of LSU who followed uh, Mickey Joseph over here to Nebraska. 
there's been a lot of good moves made. Bill Moosh, uh, sorry, Bill Bush coming in as a special teams coordinator, coordinator being elevated. You know, Mike Dawson. It's going to be interesting to see how he handles. I've never quite seen a three-four defense where a coach has coached the three D linemen and the outside linebackers. There's probably more crossover between the outside linebackers play in D-line than there is outside linebackers, middle linebackers in a 3-4. It's still an interesting dynamic. I'm curious to see how that works out. There's been a lot of good moves that have been made. At, at the same time, you know, you can make an argument. We have more talent than teams in the Big Ten West, yet we know how that's gone. We have more talent than most teams we've played. We obviously know how that's gone. At the end of the day, you've got to develop players and you've got to get on the same page with everybody, and you've got to actually get results on the field. And this upcoming season is ultimately, uh, by far, as everyone I think would agree, what Scott Frost is going to be judged by. Because if he doesn't turn things around, you know, obviously things are going to make a change. Hopefully he can just start winning, and we don't have to worry about that, and we can continue to build things going forward long term, especially for the good of this Husker football program. Adam DP here. Um, you and I crossed paths. You were in D.C. when I was covering Washington, uh, 2010, 2013. I think that the the that organization and this program share some of the same pains. That blue blood legacy of success, consistent success back in the past, and then kind of a strange sort of weird vacuum of bizarre losses in the recent re- recent history. It. How do you feel about those about this program and that organization? What are the simple things that they can both do better quickly to elevate them to where they used to be? You know what I appreciate that there is somebody that was there when I was there because I can't tell you how many times I've thought about making that comparison. But outside of yourself, do you know how many people in Nebraska would have understood that comparison? Like yeah. nobody, right? That, so I never made it. That's why. That's why well, I. St- I, I told. I told Vashon I was staying today because he was talking to two Huskers that that I share common pain with outside of this market. So, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I feel that. I've never once made that comparison because outside of yourself, nobody would get it. I'm glad somebody gets it. So when you talk about the football team, who for the love of all, it's holy, please. When is February 2nd when they're announcing the name? I look forward to that day very much. You and I both. Is. I don't Amen. even care if it's awful. Amen. Just have a name. Yep. Yep. I'm tired. I'm tired of people like, who'd you play for in the NFL? Oh, the football team. Well, which one? The football team. Okay, which one? No, the football team. It's like the uh, who's on first thing. It drove me nuts. So, anyways, I'll finally have a name to give people. Yeah. Uh, you know, Dan Schneider wants to win so bad. He can't get out of his own way. And – I, he, he, he tries to take care of his players. He tries to do everything he can, but he just won't get out of his own way. And I feel like that trickles down throughout the organization. You know, and there's a lot of – you almost feel snake-bitten at times. When it comes to Nebraska football, you almost feel snake-bitten at times when you, when you think back to last year. You know, and I can't help but wonder if we got to – well, I, I don't wonder. We've got to retrain the mentality, and we got to retrain how we look at things so that at the end of the game – and you got to get that first win. It's like Georgia – now that they've got that first win over Alabama, you know, it's not going to seem like Mount Everest every time they play them. Not that Alabama is not still going to be a really hard team to beat. But I felt like watching the game last night, Georgia's defense was all over the place. I mean, they were flying around, and that offense looked tentative to me. It was almost like the best thing that happened to them was that, that fumble that Stetson had, that Alabama accidentally recovered, didn't even know he recovered before he went out of bounds. And it was like Georgia was like, okay, we got to open it up now. 
And all of a sudden, that hesitation was out the window. And it's even Stetson said, Stetson Bennett, I don't want to be remembered for that fumble. Like, I wasn't going to be remembered for that. And that changed their mindset. Like, we need something to happen in Nebraska to change our mindset in the most difficult times of the most pressure-packed situation uh, of the highest, most important games. And we just haven't found what that is yet. And to me, you could almost equate that to Georgia-Alabama a little bit, to the football team and some of their struggles as well in recent history. Adam, through, through what's happened in recent years here, close but not good enough has been the constant. Is it fair to put direct expectation on this coming season as the new standard that will either be accepted and demanded or not accepted forever? Um, I don't know about the standard forever. You know, I mean, I think right now if we got – we got to a bowl game if we had seven wins i think husker fans would be pretty happy i don't think i don't think that's what we want the standard to be forever okay i think you got to start somewhere i think this season has to be the season for frost i think that you know he's got some new assistant coaches and you know i'm just waiting for somebody to say oh it's going to take time for the new assistant coaches to gel you got to give them three more years i'm just waiting for that and i'm going to point to michigan and say bullcrap and i'm going to point to baylor and i'm going to say bullcrap because they brought in all a bunch of new assistants this year, and look what they did. At the at some point, at the end of the day, the head coach has to win. And to me, the schedule appears easier. Made some good off-season moves. It's freaking half a decade, year five. It's it's time to. If you can't, I mean, I feel stupid saying this. If you can't get to a bowl game at six and six, to me, that's the bare minimum for this year. There's no reason you look at the schedule. We can't be seven and five, eight and four. But then you got to build from there. To me, you got to start somewhere. If people get mad at me, six and six, that's all you want? No, I want 12 and 0. But you got to start somewhere. And look at the past five years. We ain't done it in five, six years. It's been six years since we've done it. And by the way, of 66 Power Five conference teams, only us in Kansas haven't done it in the past five years. So we got to start somewhere, and then hopefully we get better and better and better from there. Adam, we got a text. We got a text question. Uh, it was asked to me. I'll ask it of you. Uh, why is there a concentration of talent in the SEC's region? Is it actual talent or mentality? You know, it, it's interesting to me because you look back. What was it? Probably about two thousand seven, when maybe before then, maybe two thousand six. I think was it Florida? I think they just they kind of they beat up a little bit on Ohio State in that championship game. Then the next year, I think LSU with two losses, the only two lost national champion college football's had in decades. I think they beat up on Ohio State in the championship game, and I think that's kind of when things started. To USC was dominant for years up until then. Then before then, it was Nebraska, Florida State, kind of battling out for the team of the decade in the '90s. You know how it all of a sudden from about '06 to now just it has just permeated in the South with the rare exception of maybe Ohio state every now and again, I've wondered that because Michigan, Ohio state, Nebraska, you know, USC, all these teams were great for so long. How has it all of a sudden got concentrated there? You know, I think football is King in the South. You know, you go in the Northeast, I think basketball tends to kind of reign supreme a little bit more. Um, But I think teams were always able to kind of pull those talents out of the South. Like we had the pipeline to Texas um, the Big Ten Conference is a great conference, but when we left the Big 12, we lost that recruiting pipeline to Texas. And so I think the South has been able to keep 
that talent, that recruiting base home better than they ever have. I mean, you watch Alabama and Georgia, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say something that's incredibly unpopular. I'm going to say something that shocks me, okay, because I can't stand Alabama. I'm not a fan of watching, you know, rematches. I don't like watching teams from the same conference and bowl games or championship games. So everything about Alabama, Georgia screamed, Adam Carriker should hate this going into that game last night. I was excited to watch it. And that's the unpopular part. And I'll tell you why. Because they were the two best teams. Michigan's a good football team. Georgia spanked their rear end sideways. Cincinnati belonged in the top four. They just didn't belong in the top two. Okay? Notre Dame's fifth, and they, they clearly beat Notre Dame in Notre Dame's field at home. They were clearly the better team. Notre Dame wouldn't have done any better. And they're the next best team in the country. Uh, I was excited because they were the two best teams. You had the motivation, the revenge factor. I thought Alabama was going to lose, and I can't stand Alabama. Um, so I was actually excited to watch that game. But the depressing part of that is, is there's two SEC teams, and they're clearly the two best teams. And I saw a stat somewhere where um, somebody might fact-check me on this, but I saw where Alabama and Georgia had a combined 33 five-star uh, recruited players on their teams, which is more than the Pac-12 and Big 12 combined. Mm. So to me, they've been able to get talent at home better than they ever have, and it started with Nick Saban, who's the greatest college football recruiter of all time, and now Kirby Smart is starting to do the same thing. And that's why Georgia, who used to be Florida's little brother, has now made Florida their little brother. It all starts with that recruiting and that keeping that talent at home in the South, I think. who who Who's better, SEC, Big Ten? Oh man, man! You just asked me a question. You know the answer. I know. I, I want to listen. I'll, I'll listen. I got. I got. I. I got. You got to think. I got Jay Foreman talking about the Big Twelve, Big Ten is better than the SEC. So I want to hear right. out of Adam Carricker's mouth who you think is better. I know what you said, but we want to hear who you think is better, so I can drive the point home. All right, I'm about to turn heel. And for people who don't know what that means, it's when a pro wrestler turns into the bad guy. Okay? It's like when Hogan went in NW. I'm going to turn heel here. I hate it. I don't like it. But the SEC is the best football conference. Now, they are top-heavy. Top to bottom, you could maybe argue the Big Ten. But outside of that one argument, the SEC is unfortunately the best conference right now. Period, point blank, end of discussion. So this is why you have Next smart point. guests on. This is why you have smart guests on. Period. See, I've been battling this battle for three hours a day. Period. That's the capper right there. Cherry on top. Period. Adam Carricker in his full in-ring pose c- <laughs> c- celebrating exactly what we just talked about. Right. Adam Carricker for the win. Ring the bell. <laughs> Let this man have ding, his music. Ding, ding, ding. is over with. <laughs> you walk out with the belt, the championship, and everything. Oh, come on. That's all I'm saying, Adam. <laughs> okay, so let's get back to – okay. Adam, you are the head coach. You just picked up Thompson, right? Just picked up Casey Thompson. What are the pieces that you're looking to place around him to be successful? Well, I'd start by looking at what we have. What we have is a really talented wide receiver room. I mean, you know, you look at uh, Trey Palmer coming over from LSU. We all know he was a five-star number two wide receiver in the country coming out of high school. You got Omar Manning who basically looks me eye-to-eye. He's listed at 6'4". I, I, I mean, he, he looks me eye-to-eye, and I'm 6'6". Two, he's 225, number one Juco receiver. You got Xavier Betts, who was the highest-rated 
player coming out of the state of Nebraska in, in a dozen years when he came out of high school. Just those three guys alone, and we've got other guys on that roster. There's talent. Okay, so the wide receivers, you've got to develop them now. I, I, none of those guys are proven. Even Trey Palmer didn't quite live up to the hype at LSU. You've got to develop them now. Now, you look at, uh, you know, is Casey Thompson going to run for his life? Or is he going to have some time to throw? Mm. So uh, my next my next focus, actually my first focus would have been all line. I went to receivers first because already they're already pretty much set. You just got to develop. You got to you got to go up front. You got to protect it. I mean, you Bryce Young and what he did versus Georgia in the SEC title game. I hated Georgia's defensive game plan. They're much smarter than I am. Kirby Smart's much smarter. They're the best defense in America. But I hated their game plan. They didn't blitz Bryce Young hardly at all. And they gave him all day to throw, and he lit him up, and he won the Heisman Trophy off that game and everything else he did this year. Last night, they were bringing it. They were bringing the house. They were doing backer blitzes, outside edge blitzes, and then all of a sudden they drop, and then that would mess up Bryce Young because it looked like they were going to blitz. You know, so for me, um, Bryce Young, and to be honest with you, he still played well. He had a lot of drops by his receivers. But the difference was not only Georgia being able to run the ball at the end of the game, but it was also the fact that Bryce Young couldn't just sit back there and pick them apart. Nebraska's got to find a way to protect their quarterback so he has some time to find, hopefully, some wide-open receivers. Okay, and the next thing, we need a running back. That, that running back mm. is talented. There's talented in that room. But we need somebody to step up. I mean, we really do. Uh, somebody's got to step up and take that that bull by the horns or two guys. I don't care if you got a two-back rotation, but somebody's got to step up. So, to me, it's, it starts up front, and then you've got to help your quarterback with a run game. Adam, let me ask you about a position that's near and dear to you. This Husker program defensively needs pressure. They haven't had, been able to pressure a quarterback from natural positions in years. Is there any talent in the room? that can provide pressure on the quarterbacks in the Big Ten that currently exist? Yeah, there's, there's talent and ability. I mean, a guy, a guy like Caleb Tanner, you know, you talk about a guy that got out of the SEC country, okay, and came to Nebraska. He's got that ability. He's a guy, you know, that's he's got to start to live up to that now. He, he made flashes last year. Uh, the one thing Nebraska defense didn't do consistently good last year was get after the quarterback. That was the same thing I've been harping on since Randy Gregory was a junior. He was banged up a lot in his new year. We haven't found a guy or guys who will do it consistently. Now, obviously, you look at Nelson. Guy plays like his hair's on fire. It's hard not to be a fan of that guy, Garrett Nelson. The, both those guys have the ability to come off the edge in this 3-4 defense and cause havoc and do it. Um, but we need guys to step up and do it consistently. The D linemen can do it as well. You know, I was watching Pittsburgh play on Sunday, and uh, Hayward, Cameron Hayward, had 10 sacks as a 3-4 D lineman. That is hard to do, but it can be done. So those guys on the inside, you look at Ty Robinson, a guy with all the physical measurables and ability, and he improved last year from his first year. You know, those guys can make an impact too. So we need those guys to step up. So Coach Chenander is in a position where he's at some point just going to have to blitz a lot in order to get pressure. Adam, on the uh, uh, on our Soderheimen text line, Chuck and Lincoln asked, does Nebraska have a single player that will be a starter for Alabama or Georgia? Man, that's a, that's a backhanded question. <laughs> right there. I mean, that's, what is that? <laughs> hey, hey, listen, you can plead the fifth. I'm just saying. What do you think? Do you think that they that, that we've got one? There is there any players on our team 
that could be a starter for Alabama or Georgia? Seriously, what do you think? Uh, from a guy like uh, the team last year, a guy like JoJo Doman, I think so. You know, um, I know Cam Taylor Britt had a bit of an up and down year a year ago, but he absolutely has that ability. He's a guy who'll be playing on Sundays. Um, th- there's absolutely guys. What I look at, and this is why I talked about development. I've, I've thrown that word development out there. When you look at the talent, and I, I just Omar Manning is a guy who, if could put it all together, could start for any team in America physically, based on what I've seen, his size, his athleticism, the speed that he has with his size. But you got to develop these guys. you, you got to get that production and the consistency out of them. A lot of times, and you, you probably know this as well as anybody, the difference between being average and good is consistency. The difference between being good and great is consistency. Great and elite. It's hard to do it day in and day out, down after down after down. There was a player... Okay, I was a senior. He was a freshman. He came in, he got a bunch of sacks. He... All right, we might have lost Adam. I know Down. we. Are you, is that you, Adam? Hey, listen, yeah, you must be me? driving. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna pause here and take a quick break. I'm the captain. Hopefully, you can come back for this next segment. It'll be a short one, Adam. But uh, you're kind of going in and out. But we're gonna bring you right back. It's the ticket, ninety three point seven. Sean Jackson on 93.7 The Ticket and theticketfm.com. Adam Carrick, are you still hanging on with me? Yeah, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you, man. Appreciate you hanging on with us, man. Um, I don't know if you remember what we were talking about or if you want to finish that last statement. Yeah. No, no, no. Could could any of the Nebraska players, could, could they, anybody start on Alabama or Georgia's team? What I was talking about was talent-wise, yeah, we have guys with the talent, but it comes down to consistency. So my senior year, there was a, a freshman – on our defense, who made freshman All-American, had a bunch of sacks, but he only played nickel situations. And when I left, I said, hey, you're going to have to do this down after down after down. You have to play the run. Then you're going to have to get out to the passer. Then you're going to have to read run versus pass. You're, gonna, you're not just going to play 20, 20 downs a game. You're going to play 60. And he just kind of looked at me like he didn't really get it, and he was never quite the same player again. My point is, do we have players talent-wise who could start on their team? Yes, I believe so. The question I have is, could they do it down after down after down after down consistently? Because to me, consistency is the difference between being below average to average, average to good, good to great, great to elite. Anybody can show up every once in a while. But Nebraska as a team hasn't shown the ability to show up for four full quarters game after game after game, which is what teams like Alabama and Georgia do. So that's kind of my quick take on that. Now, now, now. 
putting putting this season into perspective that's coming up with all of the new pieces and the moving parts that we have going on defensively, right? We necess- we didn't necessarily prove that we were a good tackling team. Did you see that, or, or am I on the on the soapbox by myself? No, you're fine. That would have been the other thing. The biggest thing for me, we got to get after the quarterback better. Um, the second thing, if somebody were to ask me what follows, would be we got to tackle better. I mean, I'll tell you what. You watched Georgia last night. The reason they could bring the house and they could stay in man coverage so much is they were tackling an open space one-on-one versus great athletes. They're a great tackling defense. I don't know that we're a great tackling defense at the moment. You got you got a little anarchy going on inside your house over there with you and the, I think it's five kids, right? Five kids or six? Six. So you got you got six kids, six different personalities. How many of them are riding with Husker football, and how many not? Dude, I'm just going to turn all sorts of heel today. Uh, all right, so five of them, five of them are riding with Husker football. Well, my daughter Addison wants to play volleyball in Nebraska. She has since she was four. She's now ten. That hasn't changed. So five of them ride with Nebraska. One of them likes the the uh, the Broncos as well. My son. My son, I have failed as a father. He is a Michigan fan. And uh, for Christmas, we even got him, oh, God, I'm just, I might as well just flip off everybody in the crowd right now. We actually got him a Michigan Big Ten Championship shirt, and it was his favorite present he got at Christmas. He, he, he gave his son the NWO black shirt. Oh man! He gave his son the NWO black shirt. He gave him the. He ripped NW. off the. He ripped off the Hogan red and gold, and underneath there's there's NWO black. There's wow. Hey, does he does he does he have anything to say about who would have won in 1997? Does he say? You know what? I should ask him. I don't. He's aware that they shared the national championship, and he's aware that Frost was the quarterback. And, you know, you even chatted with him a, a couple weeks ago, gave him a tip on how to play a little bit of tight end, so he knows you were on the team. Beyond that, I don't think he – I mean, he wasn't born <laughs> until like 12 years later, dude. But they, I don't think he's up to speed enough. Character, they, they've got the internet now, man. They can – you know, I always tell – I tell my son when they ask me – I'll tell him to do something, he'll ask me a question, and I'll say, dude, you got, you got a cell phone. On that cell phone is Google. If you Google anything in this day and age, you can find it. Whether that's how to tackle, there will be there will be tutorials on how to tackle, tutorials on how to run, just all these different tutorials. So look it up, find out exactly what it is, and and then let's get after it. But running back, I I, I gotta I gotta touch back on this. When we talk about a running back being that Nebraska used to be running back university, if we do not get back to having a one-back-every-down one guy, we're in trouble. I think we can't continue to go by committee. We have to have somebody that's going to take uh, some pressure off of uh, Casey Thompson because if not, and you know, like you said, if you don't have the offensive line up front, but if you don't have a running back, to take a little, make make a man miss, and maybe go to the house. You really are going to put a lot of pressure on Casey Thompson, and I don't know if we want to do that. No, we absolutely don't want to do that. And we, I mean, it's you think back through all the great running backs that Nebraska's had through the years and the decades, and it's it's crazy to think that Divino Zigbo was it three four years ago. He's the only thousand yard rusher we've had since 2014 when Amir Abdullah did it. You know, so it's it's crazy to even think about that. 
And I've got some stats at home. I'm going to talk about the running back position at some point. But, I mean, I, I think I went back, and it's, it's, you have to add up our leading rusher for the last three seasons in order to get a 1,000-yard rusher combined. And, and COVID year was obviously shortened, but still, that's crazy. That's insane. So we need somebody or a couple of guys to step up because you can't just count on, you know, Casey Thompson throwing the ball 60 times, which I'm, hope, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping they're not counting on that. we got to have a running game for sure. Adam, as, as a defensive end, there, is, there has to be some level of mutual fear and respect between defensive linemen and offensive linemen. And in your day and the days past – that respect was mutual. I'm not sure that this offensive line provides an aspect of fear or respect from its opponents. What say you? I mean, they didn't play very well last year. So, I mean, as a defensive lineman, when I was getting ready to play somebody, you know, I mean, I like a challenge. I like to play against the best. You know, the Ric Flair to be the man, you got to beat the man. I always bought into that. You know, I practiced against Richie Incognito every day for three years in Nebraska and then three more years in St. Louis. So I always felt like, hey, if, if I can handle Richie and all his wonderful tactics, I can handle anybody. <laughs> you know, so that was always my attitude. People are like, when did you know you could play in Nebraska? When I could go toe-to-toe with Richie and I, I knew I was going to be just fine, that's when I knew I could play against anybody. So – when you're watching film, and I'm sure Vershawn was the same way, you know, as a tight end watching linebackers and who he had to block and was I going to be able to get open and how tough was the competition, you know, there's certain old lines I would watch and I'd be like, oh, God, if I don't get two sacks, I'm going to be mad this game, you know. And then the next game, you're like, all right, it's going to be a war, you know. There, there's some big guys over there. They're physical, mean, and nasty. Let's light this candle. Uh, I don't imagine that the Nebraska offensive line a year ago had people thinking, wow, this is going to be a war. They're big, mean, and nasty. Not that they don't have ability and talent because they've got size and highly recruited guys. But the results on the field did not match the potential that's in that room. And hopefully Riola, a guy I played with actually in D.C., hopefully he, he can get that out of him. And I love Greg Austin. That's my guy. I played with him and practiced against him for years. He just he wasn't able to get you know, to the level of play that he wanted out of him either, I think he would admit. Um, so hopefully they can start to reach the potential and the output that, that they have as far as physical ability in that room because they've got some guys who are big, who are athletic, who are highly recruited. But it's kind of like the receivers. you got to actually get the results on the field. Do we get a, do we get a running back out of the portal, though? Wouldn't, don't you think that that was important to get – I mean, to me it's just as important to get a running back out of the portal as it is to get a, a quarterback out of the portal. If you're going to get one, because you don't have any proven running backs at all that you can say, okay, that's the guy. Which one? Even even the, even the two youngsters that that play well that got hurt, they're they're not all the way developed yet to take the beating of the Big Ten that running backs normally will take. Who's the coach? Yeah, I'll be honest. I'll be honest with you. You raise a fair point. It hadn't even occurred to me. I was, you know, I'm, I'm always so focused on me, the offensive line, the D-line, and then obviously we needed a quarterback to bring into this quarterback battle. Um, I think when you look at the running back room, your argument is strong in the aspect of we have nobody proven. You know, if we could find somebody proven or somebody who's a little bit more of a veteran or developed or whatever, obviously they could step in and fill that role. And I think a lot of people were hoping Marquis Step would be that guy a year ago. Um, obviously that didn't come to fruition. You know, I think – 
if you wanted to play devil's advocate, you could argue, hey, you got guys like Ramir Johnson, Marvin Scott, Gabe Irvin, who was the starter, first true freshman ever start game one at the University of Nebraska at running back. You've got Jacques Yant. You know, you've got talent. Why can't you just develop one of those guys? So for me, it could go either way. Um, you know, I'm fine either way, but you got to find somebody for the love of all the toys. Yeah, I think you you gotta find you gotta find that guy at, at running back that can that can make a man miss and, and go for sixty because that's a game breaker. That's a guy that can change the complexity of a game. I mean, I I think it was uh, Michigan State's running back. He was I watched him in some of the games. He can he changed the complexity of the game because he made three four guys miss that should have tackled him, and then he took it sixty yards and for the touch. And so, to me, if you got that guy, you have a guy that can be a game-breaker at running back. He he changes your offense completely on the ground because you don't have to worry about trying to run a zone read and your quarterback pulling the ball. We can give it to our running back that's an every-down back who can, who can get it downhill and get the 5 to 10 yards that we require. It was interesting, and I keep referring to the game last night because it was a kind of a, you know, somewhat of a big game. And it's the two best teams in the country, and I feel like we could learn from them. And Nick Saban, you know, the announcers talked during the game about his biggest concern. The single player that concerned him the most on Georgia's offense was James Cook. And, you know, you, you could point to a few different plays as a play of the game. But to me, the, the run that he had, it was either late third or going into the fourth quarter where he made a guy miss one-on-one. They washed Will Anderson down inside. It created a one-on-one tackling opportunity for the Bama defender. James Cook made a miss, and then his speed got him inside the Bama 10-yard line. And to me, that was ultimately what showed Georgia, because I think they were still battling that mental Alabama hurdle. Hey, it's the fourth quarter. We're here. We can win this game now. And that play was made by a running back and the one guy that actually had Nick Saban nervous on that Georgia offense. Uh, Adam, I would I would be ashamed of myself if I had you on the horn and did not ask you the question that all wrestling fans must know. What is the greatest finishing hole in the history of, of, of pro wrestling? Now, hold on. Hold or move? <laughs> two different things. They're two different things. Okay. Are you asking about a move or a hold? Because there's two different things. The, so what's the greatest finish finisher? The stunner. It's the stunner. Cold stunner. Yeah. I mean, you can do it to anybody. You can get it out of nowhere. And and what in all fairness, what made it great was the way people sold it. Yeah. If people don't sell like the rock, nobody yeah. sold it better than the rock. Yeah. Scott Hall only wrestled Stone Cold once, but if you watch that match and the way he sold the stunner, Vince McMahon was awful at selling it, but he was so awful it was almost good. Yeah. Um you know, if you were asking hold I, uh, to me, I think of a submission move. I'd have to go with the figure four. It's hard to beat the oh, figure four. But yeah. to me, um, you know, I, I am also a fan of the spear. The only reason it's kind of been lower. I'm a, I'm a Goldberg guy. That was my favorite wrestler growing up. Yeah. Um, the only reason it's kind of been denigrated a little bit, because everybody does it. Yeah. Edge does it. Roman Reign does it. Yeah. But, you know, those are my favorite finishing moves. What about you? What are your favorite finishing moves? Uh, well, yeah, it's just – when you when you could as a kid i'm i'm older so as a kid when you can stand in the middle of the ring with your opponent down and you can look out at the crowd and yell now we go to school <laughs> <laughs> and slap the figure four on it was glorious not mine yeah. was- i am still a hulk hogan 
hit the the ring, the 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 ropes yeah. twice, yeah. three times, and then come down with the big leg on the <laughs> neck. <laughs> and I'm talking to Hogan with the yellow draws, <laughs> not, not not the Hulk Hogan that went to NWO. I didn't like that Hulk Hogan. I liked him on the game at NWO. But hey, Big Fuck, listen, you have to come back, man. Yeah, man, anytime. Um, just hit me up, let me know. So ask me, okay, uh, dude, I'm, I'm just, I'm having, I'm going to be a heel. I'm just, I'm having fun being a heel. Ask me what my least favorite finishing move of all time is, if you would, there, Vershawn. What is your least finishing favorite move? Are you ready to boo me? Not yet. The whole, the whole Hogan leg. <laughs> He walked right into Boom. that. He walked, he walked right into that. Boom. Rashawn, you walked right in. He set you up. I, that's fine. That's why, that's why I did that. I wanted he to walk. Listen, up. okay, so here, let me get, since you want to go there, I'll give you my second best. The, okay. The Dusty Rose elbow. The Bionic elbow. Yep. That's Dude, he one. used like to hit Ric Flair like 20 times, and Ric Flair would still be getting hit after he stopped. Yep, yep. And, and my and, and my favorite thing in all of wrestling is the Ric Flair flop. Like, oh God, yes! <laughs> it's just the flop. It's just, it's it's everything good. So you know, I knew one of these. I'm gonna get character on, and we're gonna just do wrestling for like an hour. That hey, let me ask you a question. When you were in D.C., did you ever happen to watch my show that I did while I was there, Fourth and Pain? I did. I was I was on, and I can say this because that was the name of the show, which was Redskins Magazine with Tony McGee and Doc Walker. Okay, yeah. So we, uh, I, I had a, it was all wrestling in the beginning. Yeah. And then people wanted to talk football, so it became half football, half wrestling. If people have absolutely nothing better to do with your time, and you just have nothing going on in your life. Google Fourth and Pain. It's so and we good. A lot of wrestling and it's, man, it's, dude, I, I went back for the first time like three years ago. The yeah. banner behind us is atrocious. <laughs> I mean, our we were not very professional, but man, we were having a lot of fun. and the presentation. The presentation could have been a lot more professional, oh. but man, we were having fun. I tell you what. Oh, Adam, you don't know no, this. It's it's. I've seen all. I've seen all of them, and it's what's funny was this. I said, Rashawn's gonna have them. I'm staying on just so we can talk. Huskers, Washington, and, and wrestling. Like, this had to happen. That's awesome. And I love the bionic elbow, and nobody sold better than Ric Flair. That's for sure. That's the best. That is the best. Hey, you know about that Sweet Chin music? Oh, yeah, Sean. You know, the problem with Sweet Chin music is now everybody does it. It's become a common move. It was special when Shawn Michaels did it. Now it's become a common move. That's the only problem with it. But it was great when Shawn just did it. Right. Hey, hey. Big character, I'm gonna need to get your 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 best go big red and throw the bones. And listen, before you do that, I think let the people know kind of what you got going and what to listen to. You know your YouTube spot and all that good stuff as well. Yeah, I got the character chronicles going on. Typically in the off season, it's Monday, Wednesday, Friday. But with so much news going on, I, I put out like two or three different shows yesterday because we had the special teams and uh, coach announcement with Bill Bush. I finally reacted to Trey Palmer. I'm going to talk about what the Huskers can learn from Alabama and Georgia. So, anyways, uh, it's coming out sporadically right now because there's so much news, which is which is good, good fun stuff to talk about. But check it out. Omaha.com slash character. People are starting to find the YouTube page and obviously Facebook and Twitter as well. I, I love your I love your gut reactions, by the way. They always gut reactions for real. It's like, ugh. 
I just ate the worst whatever, and it just hit my gut and just destroyed me. So I appreciate oh, your gut appreciate reactions. <laughs> so give me a best. Uh, they're, they're, Go ahead. They're the most fun ones to do. And sometimes I do prep when I have stuff ready. Um, but, like, the gut reactions are, most of the time, they're just gut reactions. So a lot of times they're the most fun to do. It'd be a lot more fun if we win more. I enjoyed the volleyball gut reactions a lot this, this year. Um, when, we, when we hopefully start winning more, I'll enjoy them even more. Nice. Give me your best Go Big Red and throw the bones. All right, until next time, Husker Nation, Go Big Red and always remember to throw the bones. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's Adam. That's Adam, the big man character. I appreciate you, Adam. I am the captain. I'm in the co-pilot seat with DP, the ticket, 93.7. Nick, take us out. <laughs>